Good morning. I love the response. There we go. Good morning. morning. That was cool. Okay. I'm Jake Gaiman, and uh, I'm a part of the Spring Hill House Church. I've been going there since I was a freshman at Cedarville, and so I just graduated in May, so I guess that would be like four years or something like that. Um, I'm not good at math, but I just graduated in engineering, so um, we use calculators. We don't do the math ourselves, but... Uh, yeah, so I'm working as an engineer at, at Wright Pat right now. So then you're probably wondering why am I up here? Um, I took the preaching class with Justin that we've been trying to encourage people to take, and I took that, uh, I guess, two years ago, I think. I was a junior. So, yeah, and uh, I'm just thankful to be a part of a church that is full of disciples that make disciples that make disciples. But uh, I'm going to start this morning by, by telling you a little story from this last summer. Um, a personal story, and so I have a friend that just moved to Cincinnati, and uh, he was showing me around town, and uh, we stopped to get lunch at the Finley Market, and we were waiting in line to get our food, and I heard this guy behind me uh, saying things at me, but I didn't know what he was saying. It was kind of like mumbling, and so I turned back real quick and looked at him, and I noticed that uh, he was he was homeless, and so I just, by instinct, turned back, and uh, he kept talking to me, and eventually I made out that he was, he was saying, um, could, hey, sir, could you buy me a drink? He wasn't asking for my money, he was just asking if I'd buy him a drink. And uh, I just, by instinct, was like, oh, no, no, I, I don't have money, which doesn't make much sense, because I was about to buy my own food. So, um, yeah, I just kind of, I kind of ignored him, and uh, the people standing behind the the, the desk that were about to sell me food, um, noticed that he was asking for, for stuff, and so they threatened to call the police on him and um, told him to leave, and he did. And then they came to me and apologized to me for the inconvenience, and I was like, yeah, it's okay. I accepted their apology. I didn't really think about it much because that was just the instinct that I had, and you know, we're all taught to you know, ignore homeless people and then they won't ask you. I don't know, it was, it was, it was judgment that I had. And uh, I really missed a good opportunity to share the gospel with someone. But uh, I think we'll revisit that, that a bit later. But then I'm going to pray for us. Lord, I just ask that uh, you would remind us this morning of your love for us, your love for the world. I ask that you would... Uh, Make this message of grace clear, that I as a broken vessel will not get in the way. Pray that uh, we will leave this morning knowing that there is joy set before us, not just in isolation, but in sharing the joy that we have. I pray this all in your son's name. Amen. This morning, we're going to be reading through Luke 15. So if you want to open up your Bibles, we are going to start in verses 1 and 2. Luke 15, 1 and 2. Luke writes, Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, 
This man receives sinners and eats with them. Jesus is eating with sinners. He's at a table with them. If you remember from Luke 14, Jesus was also eating with people, but he was eating with Pharisees, the ones who are now grumbling. But those Pharisees, they had kind of a closed mind in their interactions with him. They tried to set him up to heal someone on the Sabbath, which, as the rule-following Pharisees, is a big deal. Ah, we're going to catch Jesus. We're going to catch him in sin. But here, we see that the tax collectors have a different attitude as they're eating with Jesus. It says that they were all drawing near to hear him. They were listening to what he had to say. The Pharisees have a similar attitude in this situation where they don't really care what Jesus has to say. They're coming in with accusations. And they see Jesus eating with sinners, eating with tax collectors, and, and they grumble and accuse him of compromising morally. Eating with people often in this culture implied some form of respect. Oftentimes at banquets, you would sit with people of a similar social status. And so they're saying, Jesus, why are you eating with sinners? Only fools hang out with fools. And it's in response to these accusations that Jesus begins to tell them three parables. The first two are of the lost sheep and the lost coin. And these two are fairly rhetorical. There's an implied jab, but they're, they're fairly rhetorical. And they set up the third parable, which is of the lost sons. So, Let's hear what Jesus has to say. Verse 3. Luke writes, So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. Jesus, he opens by asking a rhetorical question. What man of you, what shepherd wouldn't search for his lost sheep. Every sheep is valuable to a shepherd. The, the implied answer to that rhetorical question is, duh, yeah, what shepherd wouldn't go and look for his sheep? It's valuable to him. And when he, when he finds his sheep, of course, he'll celebrate. And when he celebrates, he says that he invited his friends over, and his friends rejoiced with him, because that's what friends do. We get happy when friends are happy. And then Jesus, he compares this joy, this rejoicing of his friends to the joy that is in heaven when one sinner repents. Jesus reiterates the point. He's trying to put the Pharisees in his shoes, and he reiterates the point one more time with the second parable. He says, Or what woman having ten silver coins. If she loses one coin, 
does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it. And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so, I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Again, he opens with the rhetorical question. Or what woman wouldn't search for her lost coin? Jesus takes another shot at this, communicating the same point, but he increases the value a little bit this time. Last time, it was one sheep out of a hundred. This time, it's one coin out of ten. And these coins are not just your average coin. Most scholars believe that these coins were her dowry, which is... uh, the only money that a woman in a patriarchal society brings into her marriage that is uniquely hers. If the marriage falls apart, she keeps that and just that. No matter what happens, this this is the only thing that is uniquely hers. So this is extremely valuable. These are extremely valuable coins. She lost one of these coins. Of course, she's going to search for that coin, and when she finds it, she's going to be very, very relieved. And she calls together her friends, and they celebrate, and her friends rejoice with her. Of course the friends would rejoice with her, because friends rejoice with each other, and this is a good thing to find. Why wouldn't the friends rejoice with her? Then again, Jesus compares the joy of these friends with the joy that is in heaven amongst the angels when one sinner repents. What's Jesus saying? Well, first, both of these parables, they're meant to put the Pharisees in the shoes of Jesus. When you lose something valuable, you search for it, right? Is that not what God is doing here? I'll tell you a story of of me losing something. uh, I grew up with a a dog, a boxer named Emma, and uh, she... We would let her out to go to the bathroom, and she would prefer not to come back in uh, because she likes to be outside, and she likes the sun, and she'll just bathe in it. And um, so we would get sick and tired of yelling at her to come in, so we just let her out there for a little while. And, you know, over time, you stop paying attention, and you watch your TV show or whatever, and you go back and check on her. And usually, she, she would be out there. There was a day when I was a kid, I remember that she was not out there. And I'll tell you what, the feeling of your heart, like, sinking when you hear the dog's not out there. What do you mean the dog's not out there? She's not behind a bush. She's not on the other side of the house. And you, we saw it diligently. We looked, I remember running through the cornfield and getting all itchy and I, I didn't care. I wanted to find Emma. Where's Emma? And fortunately, we did find her. I'll tell you what, the joy, the relief you have when you find someone you love is, it's indescribable. You know, I was mad at Emma, and I was not mad anymore, because we had found her, and I was happy that Emma was home, and that that was all that mattered. I wasn't going to yell at her. See, God, he is the shepherd, he is the woman looking for her coin, he is me looking for Emma. With lost. He is seeking out the lost because he loves them. That is what Jesus is trying 
to communicate to the Pharisees in him eating with these sinners and these tax collectors, I am seeking out the lost. I am seeking out those whom I love. And you know what? If my friends were around and they saw that I found Emma, I don't think they would be grumbling. I think they would be excited with me because they're my friends. And if they were, for whatever reason, upset that I was happy that I found Emma, could you really call them a friend? You know, maybe this should have the Pharisees asking because of their response. Maybe this should have them asking, am I behaving like a friend of God or like an enemy of God by grumbling at Jesus eating with sinners? This sets up the third parable. And he said, there was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. All right, let's back up. The younger son asks for his inheritance. If you know anything about inheritance, you usually don't get that till someone dies. That is a, it's a big question to ask of dad. And what it's implying is that he, he said, dad, you know, I want your stuff, but I don't want you. Honestly, he's wishing his dad dead. He's saying, I just want your stuff. You know, most people in a culture of respect, in a culture of, you know, especially respect your elders, but um, respect your patriarchs, most fathers would not respond to that very positively. In fact, they would probably, you're not getting an inheritance. I'm going to disinherit you because that was that was disrespectful. Who are you to ask for my inheritance that I give to you? But the crazy thing is that the father grants the request. I can only imagine the fathers in the audience thinking, how irresponsible. Spoiling your son like that? Giving him it so he can go into the world? and just spend it all? Why did you not disinherit him? What a horrible father you are. But little did they know that Jesus was portraying the mercy of God towards them, towards us. We all, like the younger son, have rebelled against our Father in heaven. We all deserve disinheritance. We all deserve the wages of sin, which is death. Yet our Father in heaven was patient with us. He permitted us to run away, chasing 
any taste of happiness we could find in this world. He didn't kill you on the spot. God was being merciful. And he was waiting patiently for your return. The parable goes on. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. And, bring, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let us eat and celebrate. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Like the lost sheep, the lost coin, my lost dog, the son was very, very lost. He was lost by his own volition, by his own choice. He was lost due to his own foolishness. Dad didn't lose him. He chose to go away. And when he finally hit rock bottom, had nowhere else to turn, he decided to return home. It doesn't matter what risk came with returning home, he had nothing else left. He had nothing else to turn to. But uh, Kenneth Bailey writes in Jacob and the Prodigal that there likely was a risk in him coming home. There's a ceremony for people who do things like this. Kenneth Bailey writes, Any Jewish boy who lost his inheritance among Gentiles faced the Kazatzah ceremony if he dared return to his home village. The ceremony itself was simple. Fellow villagers would fill a large earthenware pot filled with burned nuts and burned corn and break it in front of the guilty individual. While doing this, they would shout, so-and-so is cut off from his people. From that point on, the village would have nothing to do with the helpless lad. As he leaves town, the prodigal knows he must not lose his money among the Gentiles. That's a powerful image of the shame that this son deserved. The incredible thing is that the father didn't let it happen. You remember, he, he saw his son far off, and he ran to him. Instead of leaving his son to be shamed by a community, he took the shame upon himself by saying, no one can get near him. He's mine. And I'm taking him home. 
Instead of making his son work to pay back what he had wasted, he absorbed the cost of foolishness and restored him to full sonship. Even the fact that the father ran in this culture, in a patriarchal culture, is shameful. Men in a patriarchal culture do not run. That is for women and for children. And so this, to the Pharisees' ears, grown man running is shameful in and of itself. But he said, I'll take the shame because I love my son. Do you understand that this is the God we worship? We've all wasted our father's gifts. Unable to pay him back, we deserve to be cut off. But Jesus bore our shame. Jesus took the broken pot. Jesus ran after us. And he paid the price that we couldn't pay back. He absorbed the cost. You know, in Christ, we're not hired servants like the son had originally requested. In Christ, we, like the younger son, are restored to full sonship in the loving arms of our Father in heaven. This is the incredible good news of the gospel. We deserved shame, but we receive celebration instead. If you're here this morning and you relate to the younger brother, you're a rebel, you're living in sin, I ask you understand that you cannot outsin the love of God. You cannot outsin the love of God. You're not going to be able to pay it back either. He's not going to ask that of you. He's going to cut you off before you ask. He said, "You're my son." So I ask, are you willing to turn from your rebellion and come home? This isn't the end of the parable, though. If you remember, Jesus is actually responding to the Pharisees. And so, it continues. He actually gives them a character. Luke writes, Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come. And your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came home, who has devoured your property with prostitutes. You killed the fattened calf for him? And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. 
It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this, your son was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. The older son, he didn't run away. He didn't waste his father's stuff like his younger brother did. He aspired to be a rule follower. You know, on the outside, he did just that. He obeyed his father's commands. He did everything he was supposed to do. But the return of his younger brother exposed something about the state of his heart. He was furious that his brother received a celebration. If anyone deserved it, it's him. He's the one who's obeyed the rules. But his father didn't feel the same way. Maybe you feel for the older brother. You know, what, what did he do wrong? He tried his best to obey. Isn't that the essence of religion, right? Learn to be good through the obedience of rules. This is the popular view of religion, but it has a fatal flaw. If you break one rule, can I still call you a rule follower? Are you a rule breaker? It doesn't matter how good you have been if you've broken the law once. I mean, imagine going to court for a crime you committed and asking for the charges to be dropped because you gave to charity. The judge is going to laugh at you because that's not why you're there. There is no scale of, do my good outweigh my wrong? It doesn't exist. You commit a crime and there's a consequence. Good deeds don't void crimes. You know, the truth is that religion or rule following doesn't save people. It exposes their guilt. Romans 3.20 says, For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. Hmm. So if I can't be saved through rule following, how can we be saved? The same way the rebel is, by grace. Romans 3 continues, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation, which is a big word for the appeasement of wrath, the satisfaction of justice, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, in his divine patience, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. 
In the life of Jesus, he lived the righteous obedience of the law that you didn't, which is the only reason why he, not, apart from the fact that he's God, that he is qualified to die in your place. In his death, he bore the shame that you deserved. And that's not all. In his resurrection, he guaranteed the celebration that you didn't deserve. So what's this mean for the older brother? Turns out he had an inaccurate view of himself. He had far more in common with his younger brother than he thought. He, too, was a rebel. Tim Keller writes in The Prodigal God, Neither son loved the father for himself. They both were using the father for their own self-centered ends rather than loving, enjoying, and serving him for his own sake. This means that you can rebel against God and be alienated from him either by breaking his rules or by keeping all of them diligently. It's a shocking message. Careful obedience to God's law may serve as a strategy for rebelling against God. The older son, like the older, like the younger son, loved his father's gifts, but he didn't love the father himself. The younger son showed this by wastefully spending his father's money, and the older son by depending on his good works for good rewards. But while his sons used him for his stuff, the father loved them so much that he was ready to celebrate when they were ready to repent. Even after his older son refused to go to the celebration, he goes outside, sees him from a far way off, goes to where he's at, and offers an invitation to join the celebration. To the rule follower, to the one who relates with the older brother, I ask, do you understand that you cannot earn the love of God? You cannot depend on your works for good rewards. You cannot debate with God and argue with God, well, I was good, so I want this and this, this, and this. Or maybe cast judgment on other people who aren't doing as good works as you are. Because in reality, we're no different. We're all dependent on the grace of God. Do you understand that you cannot earn the love of God? It is given, first of all, he loves you, but his salvation is given as a gift. And so I ask, are you willing to surrender your pride and join the celebration? You know, it's, it's interesting that the parable ends here. We never do find out if the older brother repents and joins in the celebration. Perhaps this is because Jesus is leaving it up to the Pharisees to finish 
the story. Jesus, by equating the older brother with the Pharisees, is inviting them to rejoice with him because these sinners with whom he ate were lost but now are found. Jesus is telling the Pharisees that by grumbling at his association with sinners, they are distancing themselves from the heart of God, which is to find the lost. Man, if they understood how desperately they need the grace of God, they would be excited to join Jesus at that table. By leaving the parable open, Jesus is giving them the opportunity to repent of their self-righteousness so that they could join him at the table with sinners. The only thing standing in the way is themselves. I also think this parable is unresolved because Luke is extending the invitation to rejoice to us. Will you rejoice in the salvation of the lost? I imagine many of you are sitting here thinking, yeah, Jake, yeah, of course I will. Who, who repented? Who, who gave their life to Jesus? I, yeah, dude, that'd be great. <laughs> Let's go out to eat with them. It'd be great. I would love that. I'd love to celebrate. I will rejoice in the salvation of the lost. That is not hard, Jake. If that's your response, then I don't know if you understand what it means to rejoice in the salvation of the lost. Jesus didn't just tell his disciples to sit and watch. He told them to go. The beginning of 1 John, uh, which is a letter written by John, he shows us this attitude of rejoicing in the salvation of the lost. He writes, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, Jesus, the life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father, and it was made manifest to us that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things, we are reaching out to you so that our joy may be complete. How do we rejoice in the salvation of the lost? By joining in the search for the lost. You know, I, I missed it. I missed the mark in my interaction with that homeless man in Cincinnati. I took no joy in any opportunity to reach out to this guy. I mean, he didn't even ask for my money, okay? I mean, he just asked for me to buy him a drink. I was the older brother. I had judgment in my heart. I thought, I'm better than him. Who is it in your life that you still have judgment towards, that you would refuse to eat at their table? Maybe it would just be difficult to eat at their table. Yeah, I don't like them. Ugh. They're lower. 
You might not think that explicitly, but we have so much judgment and pride in our hearts. Who is it? Maybe it's, for me, it was just in the street without even thinking about it, this homeless man that I completely looked over. But maybe it's someone in your family whom you're in conflict with. Maybe it's your coworker who's gay or transgender. Who is it that you would refuse to eat at their table so that they might be saved? That feeling that I had when I lost Emma, I lack that feeling when I interact with the world. Do you feel that urgency that there are people that are lost that God loves them, and he wants them to come home. God has sent you to go. If you are a friend of God, if you are a lover of God, you will learn to find joy in what he rejoices in. And he rejoices in the salvation of the lost. This morning, um, we're going to be doing baptism after the first song. And so I also want to extend to anyone here that has not been baptized. As an adult, um, you can go into the back and Justin will help you out. And um, we would love for you to, to experience that. But before we wrap up, we're also going to be doing communion. And so if you want to grab the trays with... Um, the bread and the grape juice. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, I ask that you do not partake in communion. Instead, during this time, consider coming home. Consider returning to your Father. He is patiently waiting, and He loves you, and your sin is no obstacle to the love of God. If you'd like to talk about that, I will be up here after the service, or find someone near you with them. I'm sure they would love to speak with you and to walk that, walk through that with you. And ultimately, we would love to join in the celebration with a sinner returning home. If you are here this morning and you are a Christian, then as you take communion, while uh, Anthony plays music, I ask that you, you consider who, who are you relating to? Because we, we practice communion to remember what Jesus has done for us. We need that reminder because we really, really easily like to drift back into thinking like a rebel or a rule follower. If you're here this morning and you relate to the younger brother because you're living in sin, lay that sin down before the cross and thank Jesus for what he has done for you. He bore the shame that you deserve. and you've been restored to full sonship. 
If you're here this morning and you relate to the older brother, because there's judgment in your heart, you're still trying to defend yourself before God over your works, and you, you see other people as lesser than, then I encourage you to repent of that in this time and to remember what Jesus has done for you. Thank him for what he has done and ask that he would give you his heart for the lost. Maybe you relate to both, but regardless, the love of God cannot be overcome. There is grace for you.